With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today our guests are Dustin Fowler, the A's minor league outfielder, and Donnie Barnes, who does the internet broadcast for the A's throughout the spring and also calls a variety of other sports in Omaha. All of that next on A's Plus. Guest today on A's Plus is outfielder Dustin Fowler. Dustin, um, two years ago when you came into camp after the big trade, uh, the A's had made it clear that you were the center fielder of the future. Things have kind of changed for you now. How do you look at this camp coming in two years later, especially, you know, with the, the big league spots all looking filled and uh, so much outfield depth here? Yeah, things have definitely changed from since I got traded, but um, there's a lot of guys who are in the same spot as me who did really well when they needed to, and I kind of struggled a little bit, and they earned the spot. So um, now when they have the spots pretty much figured out, now it's just kind of work on the little things that you do and um, just wait for the next opportunity that you can. When you came up, um, you were uh, not that far removed from obviously your hideous injury when you ran into the wall in Chicago, that horrible, horrible knee injury. Was that maybe still either a little bit in your mind or were you, did you feel like that injury was affected you at all going into that season still somehow? Um, I don't want to put everything on the injury, but it definitely wasn't in my favor missing that much time then going into it and then getting my first taste in the big leagues after missing pretty much half the season. I think that hurt me a little bit, but um, no, it's just just kind of struggled at times. And then um, I guess for me being the center fielder, Loriano was doing really well at the time and they were making a push. So it's just timing didn't really work out in my favor. I think it was timing and with the injury, everything just kind of was going against me, but it's part of baseball and you never know what happens. They, they say sometimes when guys come up and get their first taste in the major leagues and they struggle a little bit, it can set them back. Do you feel like that happened to you at all? Um, no, I don't think it set me back much. Um, obviously in AAA, I did pretty well in that year. And um, in the big leagues, I think a lot of it was toward the end, I wasn't getting much playing time. That was my first taste of not getting much playing time. So you tend to put a lot of pressure on yourself thinking you have to get your hits and then all that boils down to is you end up not getting your hits and you just get more stressed out and stressed out. So I think at that time it was good for me to go back down and just kind of become myself. I mean, just like I said, with the timing, it just, I never got my opportunity again. So now I just got to play it out and hopefully stay healthy. Last year you had a really good season at Vegas. You hit 25 homers. I think that's a career high. You drove in 89 mm-hmm. runs. Is that yeah. right? That's a, that's a nice season. Obviously, you know, we saw Sky Bold here. Uh, we saw Seth Brown here. Um, how do you evaluate your season last year? People talk about Vegas being a little bit of a launching pad, but even if you take the park factor into account, that's still a very nice season you had. Yeah, it was a good season. Um, you kind of look past it a lot because there's a lot of guys up there that had amazing years last year but um 
I think everything was where I wanted to be. I got my, obviously, the power up. I got my walks up last year. Those are two big things I wanted to work on without changing something huge. But um, obviously, the average wasn't quite where I wanted to be, especially in that league. But um, all in all, I thought it was a great season. And um, I think last year was another case of there's a lot of guys who had amazing years. You know, Seth Brown hit 36, 37 home runs, which is unbelievable and no matter what league you're in. So um, it was nice seeing him getting his first taste up there and succeeding as well. Do you kind of like going under the radar at this point? You could. It seems to be like the A's still feel like at some point you're in their plans, but you don't get talked about a lot. Is that a good position to be in maybe? Um, I think a lot of guys look at it differently. Um, I've always just been a quiet guy. I don't really like the fame. I don't have social media, so I, I don't really care about the – spotlight being on me and everything but I feel like my entire career I kind of been a guy that was under the radar someone else a little bit better or whatever you want to call it but no I don't mind it um sometimes it is nice just being able to take a breather and not having all the pressure on you but um but yeah I'm just a guy that I'm going out there I'm going to try to win do everything I can for the team and hopefully my part is something that helps now, are you working on anything different this spring? You mentioned your walks last year. I think you wound up with 42, something like that, which is a which is a good season. Are you still like trying to get more walks? Are you do maybe working a little on average? Anything that you actually feel like you can work on in a spring when you're also trying to have results? Yeah, last year I started a little sync mechanism in my swing, which was um, big for my power, and it helped me with my walks. But at times, with my leg kick going into it, I was getting in and out of my legs, which was making me making my eye level change so much so this year I, i'm kind of getting away from the leg kick a little bit and testing the waters with that so hopefully i can get my contact numbers up a little more strikeouts down and um hopefully take the walks in a, a step above what's a sync mechanism um i usually stand straight up and a lot of guys are already preset in their legs so i was a guy who never really got into my legs like i needed to so it Poolside, I had a, a bunch of power just like anyone else, but when I w went to hitting the ball with authority the other way, it started paying dividend. And um, with me sinking into my legs and staying in them, it helped me with my power all over the field and staying in my legs, which was called, um, helping me not swing at as many pitches. How much were you working with Eric Martins on that last year? A lot. Um, it was about mid-season. I think Bushy contacted him and said we needed to work on that. And me and Emart um, worked a lot on it pretty much the entire rest of the year. It was just focusing on that, um, kind of put the numbers aside, and just, that was the next step in perfecting that and making it something that's natural and not anything that I'm going to have to think about going into the next season. How are you feeling so far at the plate this spring? Um, it's been pretty good. I feel like I've been squaring the ball up a little bit. Um, obviously, everyone starts off differently in spring training with me. I've always been the guy that takes me a little bit longer to get my timing at the plate with the fastball. So for the most part, I'm about where I usually am, but uh, it's been pretty good. I um, don't have a hit yet, but my bats, I'm pleased with them, how they're going and getting stuff out of it. I think per people forget still how young you are you're are you going into your year 25, 25 season yeah so you still got a lot of good baseball still you're still in the prospect range yeah um i think you're my birthday twin too right we've established you're december 29th yes right? yeah. yeah yeah um I, I guess you can consider me as a young guy um especially in the baseball world but um yeah i mean i, I feel like i still got a lot of future ahead of me but um 
you know, I'm not a guy, I'm not going to put too much pressure on myself. I'm not going to look at it and be salty about it or complain or anything like that. Um, I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason. And if you do your part, it's something to come up. And you always know this time of year, there's plenty of scouts here watching everything you're doing too. So even if there might not necessarily be a spot here for you, you know other teams are watching you with a lot of interest. Yeah, of course. Um, you're always playing for our, obviously you're playing for your team number one, but there's always another team out there that might want you and might need you. So I think a lot of guys kind of get in their heads that there's no spot for you here, but you never know when a trade's going to happen with me. I didn't know I was going to get traded from New York and I did. So um, you just never know. And like I said, you never know what's going to happen. And it, if it happens, you hope for the best. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us today on Ace Plus, Dustin Fowler. Thank you. Our thanks to Dustin Fowler for joining us on Ace Plus. We will be back in just a moment with Donnie Barnes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We welcome in Donnie Barnes, the A's broadcaster during the spring and numerous other jobs now. You've, you've added hockey to your resume, Donnie, I have. Since, since we last talked. Tell us about all the other things you're doing besides, because I've known you. How long have you been doing this now, the A's spring broadcast? This is my seventh year doing spring training games with the A's. I know, we're all, I'm getting so old, Susan. You you're really staying are. the same age, but you know, the rest <laughs> of us are getting older. This is why I like you. Yes. Um, so tell us all the other jobs that you're doing right now, including your new hockey experience. Yeah, so my main gig now is I, I run a voiceover business from home so I have a recording studio in my apartment that I built it's just a converted closet that I turned into a recording studio and so I do voiceovers every day from there and uh, so it's a cool gig because I can work from home and set my own hours and then I can do whatever other broadcasting gigs come up like coming out here to spring training every year so I, I do six different college sports in the Omaha area right now for Creighton University and the University of Nebraska Omaha the two division one schools in town and uh, with UNO, I'm now to I'm now their hockey voice, which is really fun because that's their flagship sport, and they play in the best hockey conference in the country. It's basically the SEC of college hockey. So Denver, North Dakota, Minnesota, Duluth, the last four national champions are all in our conference, and we get really great crowds and great atmospheres everywhere we go, and so it's a lot of fun. It's a huge adrenaline rush doing hockey. Yeah, we were chatting about this the other day because you know my love of hockey. Um, how difficult is hockey to call for a broadcaster? Yeah, I, I compare it to the, the difference between doing hockey and baseball. I, there's a couple different analogies you could use. One that I like to use is it's the difference between playing jazz and playing speed metal. You know, jazz is baseball. You have all this time and space, and it can be difficult to know how to fill that space in an artful way. And hockey is just so fast, and you have to be able to keep up, and you have to have real speed of thought, and your mouth has to be working really quickly and really well because the, the game waits for nobody. Um, I guess another analogy, if you want to use a surfing analogy, hockey is like big wave surfing, and baseball is more like a big being dropped into a giant pond. So... Big wave surfing, you got to ride that wave and not get crushed by it. 
on the baseball, especially these spring training games that can go for four hours. It's like being dropped into a massive pond and just having to paddle furiously to shore for a long time. They're both exhausting, but in different ways and for different reasons. Yeah, I, these are very good analogies, Donnie. I, maybe you should be the writer. Um, <laughs> I, you know, with hockey, like especially at the professional level, you're dealing also with a lot of names that are hard to pronounce, European names and, uh, you know, a lot of Scandinavian names and Russian names. Games. It's not quite to that extent in college hockey, right. is it? But you probably still have a few that you every day you're going to have to check, right? Yeah, yeah. There's still a few. You get we're getting more French Canadians now. In, in in the past, French Canadians didn't come down to the U.S. to play college hockey, but now, like we have a, a coach on our staff uh, who is French Canadian, so he's one of the few who speaks French natively. So we're starting to get a recruiting pipeline into yeah. Quebec and French Canada. So we're starting to get some of those French Canadian names, and th- those can be a little tricky sometimes if you're not used to them uh, yeah they at that level of college hockey you have pretty good sports information departments that are usually pretty good at giving you pronunciations but uh, there are still some some tricky ones I'm trying to think off the top of my head I, you know I'm blanking on a really hard one from this year there have been a few but yeah you just uh Sometimes, sometimes in hockey, you just go with what the puck's doing. If you if you forget how a guy's name is pronounced, and the game moves so fast that it covers up your mistake pretty quickly. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, here we are this spring with a camp that has a Deekman and a Dykeman. Right. So really, I, it's like we've all got things we got to deal with, I guess. Um, so you, when you first started doing this, the A's. Uh, did the professional broadcasts on the weekends typically in Giants games usually did you how did this come about that you started working here did you pitch it to them as sort of let's do this as a as a extra fun during the week thing no it was it was very random as these things often are the A's had been doing webcasts of all their midweek games since I think about the year 2000. Yeah, Robert Bond had been doing yeah. some, yeah. People forget now the A's were the first team to do that. And at the time, other big league teams were like, why would people want to listen to every spring training game? Nobody wants to hear those. Well, now pretty much every team does that. So uh, the A's had usually used either Robert Buon for a long time, and then they used some local talk show guys here in the Phoenix area to do their midweek games. And I guess going into 2014, the guy who had been doing them the last few years here in Phoenix, his time slot shifted for his talk show to an afternoon show, so he couldn't do these games anymore. And I'd done a few games for the Diamondbacks a couple years prior to that because we were a Diamondbacks affiliate in Visalia where I was calling games at the time. And uh, the next year they said they wanted to have me back, but then they had no games for me to do in 2013 because Steve Berthume took over their TV job. And it was his first baseball uh, play-by-play job. And so he wanted to do every game in the spring for the D-backs that year because he wanted the reps. And so the Diamondbacks, I guess, felt bad that they didn't have any games for me to do. But uh, they heard that the A's were looking for a new person to do their webcast, and so they referred me along to Ken Prees at the time. And uh, like that same day, I had the gigs. I was like, wow. yeah, oh, you want to do the games? Yeah, all right. Well, the Diamondbacks say good things about you, so sure, you can do them. Wow. And great training for you as you um, began to your career as a minor league baseball broadcaster, I'm assuming. Yeah, great tra- I mean, spring training games, I, I, sometimes I struggle knowing how to talk about these because... I don't, on the one hand, this isn't brain surgery. Fighting in a war is hard. Neuroscience is hard. This is not that difficult by comparison to stuff like that. But spring training games are way harder, frankly, than yeah. regular season baseball games. You have to prep for them way more. You know, 70 names on each roster this time of year. 
and you guys really, will get borrowed too yeah yeah sometimes guys will come into a game and they're not on the travel roster you have no idea who they are so it is really like being thrown into the deep end and um, you have to do a lot more with these games to make them somewhat interesting to listen to so uh, I prep I start prepping for these a month before the first game I go over every team I'm gonna see I, I make notes on every player that at least they list as being a spring training invite so I have hopefully something to say about each one if I can uh, and you don't use a lot of that material but you never know when a game hits a dead spot and that really helps you fill some time and keep things interesting and then you know, each game day I get here, I try to be here by eight in the morning and I, I spend four or five hours prepping that morning for these games because I really, I've done over a hundred of these now over the years and I, I really have come to feel like that's what it takes to be fully prepared to have enough to talk about if the game turns out to be one of those four and a half hour spring training draggers that has a lot of dead space and a lot of walks and some bad baseball. I feel like it's incumbent on you as the broadcaster to really put in the work to still try to make this compelling, to keep your energy up, to keep the handful of fans who might still be listening in the eighth inning engaged. If they're still listening, that means a lot to me, and I they deserve a lot more than to have a broadcaster mail it in. Right, exactly. Or some you know, AAA guy who gets in late in the game, his parents are listening. Absolutely. You don't want to screw up his name. You want to have all the details, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's a big deal for these kids when yeah. they get into these games late in a, in a spring training game, and so you want to treat it with the respect it deserves. Absolutely. I totally agree. Now, you were the subject of a New York Times profile. Was it two years ago? Yeah, 2018. 2018. Um, we were all very proud. What was that experience? like for you how did that come about that that you were the guy when they kind of did let, let's talk to some minor league broadcasters you were the guy they focused on yeah Kurt Streeter the guy who wrote the piece I had met him seven years earlier in Visalia he used to write for the LA Times so uh, the the man who owned the Visalia team at the time was a extended member of the O'Malley family who of course owned the Dodgers for 50 years and so uh, at the time, Frank McCourt was having his issues in L.A., and so Kurt Streeter was dispatched from the Times to come to Visalia and write about what the O'Malley family was up to in baseball nowadays, because a lot of fans were pining for the old O'Malley days. And so so I met him then when he came up to write a feature on our team, and he was, right away, he said he was really interested in writing a feature on me and on minor league broadcasters, but I guess his editors didn't want to do another story on somebody from Visalia right after they'd just done one, and... Right. And then he moved to a couple, he moved to ESPN and then to the New York Times. He kept pitching it to different editors, and I guess it never went anywhere. So I'd, every year he'd say, yeah, I still want to do that feature on you. And I, I just assumed that it wasn't ever going to happen. And then finally it happened. Yeah, and, and the New York Times of all places. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah that pretty was pretty crazy. Yeah, that was, we, uh, that was, that was really cool. Um, so, of course, you are now a seasoned veteran of A's baseball. What is your impression of this team coming into the spring, having seen them, you know, the last couple springs with also pretty good squads? Yeah, it's certainly the most excited that I've seen and felt everybody around the A's camp going into a season. I, in 2014, my first year, they were coming off back-to-back playoff appearances, so there was a lot of expectation that year, too. I think that's the only one that's come close to this one in terms of that excitement level, but I think this is still a level above that because this is still a young team with a lot of players and a lot of pieces that could get a lot better as this season goes on. So that's been really fun to watch. And I just think that this team, they do, they have another gear that they can hit and they, they so expect to do even better this year and to win a hundred games plus instead of 97 and to win the division and to actually get off to a great start this year, which the A's have never seemed to be able to do. So 
that's been really fun to be around and it gives you a lot of energy to come do these games. Yeah, my current operating theory is maybe they're getting their slow start out of the way during the yeah, spring, that's right. which is why they have not yet won a game. Um, anybody that so far from what you've seen that's either surprised you or you think might be going a little bit under the radar? Hmm. I got to look back yesterday at my scorebook because I'm blanking on the name. So who came in off the bench? Because there's so many guys that come into these games. You're going to have to edit this later, Susan. Oh, yeah. It was Luis Barrera, <laughs> I think Luis it was. Yeah. yeah, Luis Barrera. You know, he had those three hits on Sunday, and then he had, a, he had a triple on Monday, and then he played well yesterday. Should have thrown out a guy at the plate, made a great throw from right field. I know Bob Melvin mentioned him again in his press conference this morning, so he's looked really good. I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that, even though I'd heard he had some potential. So, yeah, he's definitely stood out. That's always the interesting thing about this first week or so of games. Some of those guys get more chances early on as the, the regulars are getting phased in, and so if you can make an early impression on those first few games when you have that brief window, you can really turn that into something. Yeah, I think I tweeted yesterday something like Luis Barrera looks like he's really locked in, and sometimes those guys that play winter ball are a little bit more, but you know, he's a guy that's coming off a shoulder surgery that cost him a lot of last year, and it just kind of underscores the A's extreme outfield depth. Yeah. I don't, you know, right now he's getting time because Steven Piscotti's um, Cactus League debut has been slowed by ribcage injury, uh, and Barrera looks like he's making the most of his opportunity. I don't know where he fits and when, but, you know, as, as I say, these are good problems to have. No, they're really good problems, and, and we've seen year after year with the A's, they lean really heavily on that depth at AAA every season, and so having a guy like Barrera, who, yeah, probably at the start of the year he'll be in AAA, but so many needs come up during a season, and so he's a guy that could definitely come up and fill a spot. I was really impressed by Austin Allen's power yesterday, yeah. too, by the way. That home run he hit, that wind was gusting in from right field, and he hit it halfway up the berm and right center into the teeth of that wind. I'd heard he had really plus power, but that was that was pretty impressive. Yeah, his AAA coach the other day told me that if he got 500 at-bats in the big leagues, he'd be 35-40 home yeah. run hitter, which he might not be wrong. You know, the, obviously the question mark is the catching, but I think he's making strides there. How do you see the second base battle from what you've seen so far? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've always felt like the A's really would love to see Franklin Barreto step up and assert himself and really win that job and make it his. And as you know, he, he's gotten limited opportunities at the big league level the last few years and just has never quite been able to do that yet. I think he'll get every opportunity to do that this spring. But as you've said, they really like Tony Kemp's left-handed bat since they don't have many of those. Tony Kemp's very versatile. And, of course, Jorge Mateo also out of options. They don't want to lose him. And we saw what his speed can do for a game a couple days ago when he singled and stole second and then scored. So you'd hate to lose him to waivers if you send him down. So it's, it's really something that even with that extra roster spot, the 26th guy, which helps, I, it's one of those decisions where I don't envy David Forrest and Billy Bean because I don't know what you do because you don't want to lose any of those guys. Well, I suspect, you know, that the 26th man roster question will come down to whoever, whichever between Benteo and Beretto, whichever one does not win the sort of maybe at least platoon part of the second base job because I suspect that's what we're going to see because, as you mentioned, Matt Olson is the A's only regular left-handed hitter in the lineup, so I think Kemp's probably getting the yeah. majority of the games there. But uh, that means that it comes down to the 26th man spot between essentially V-Mile Machine, and who's a Rule 5 guy, and Mateo or Beretta, whichever one does not get that spot. And I got to say, if you've already got Chad Pender as a utility player, you probably want your other utility guy to be a left-handed hitter. So 
Jorge Mateo, for me right now, might be the odd guy out of the bunch. I think the A's feel like they've really invested a lot in Barreto. They know him well. They really like him. There's a lot of player development. People feel very strongly about him. I, they like Mateo, too. I'm not saying they don't, but uh, but certainly I think Barreto might have an edge. I think this is one of those uh, very infrequent springs in which spring performance might actually play a role for these guys. Yeah, and that's there's always one or two of those guys every camp. I thought last year was Frankie Montas, who yeah. I remember before, we're sitting here before he makes his first start of this spring, I remember talking on the A's pregame show last year with Chris Townsend about how Frankie Montas couldn't, couldn't afford to ease into spring training. He needed to be good right away to win that fifth rotation spot and yeah similarly for these second basemen they need to be good right away and need to show that this job can be theirs this is why everyone should be listening to donnie barnes on the a's webcast during the week of course on tune in now i think you've had a very positive experience with tune in i know a lot of listeners are still getting adjusted to it but uh for me it's fantastic it allows everybody a chance to listen to the great donnie barnes donnie thanks for joining us on ace plus hey this is great i listened to your podcast longtime fan of yours it's cool to be on the show thanks susan our thanks again to donnie barnes for joining us on a's plus you can find donnie on twitter at Donnie, D-O-N-N-Y, Barnes, B-A-A-R-N-S. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We'll be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support A's Plus and all of the Chronicle's journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com pod.